<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Hallie Tecco. Just a reminder, we're hosting a $25,000 grant challenge, and there are just a few more days to apply. Our semifinalists will air on the show on October 17th, and listeners like you will have the opportunity to vote on the grand prize winner. Visit our website, heartofhealthcarepodcast.com to learn more. The link is also in the episode description. I am a domestic worker. A woman. A mother. An immigrant. I care for your children. I clean your home. I support your loved ones. I care about you. But who will care for me? Taking care of children disabled folks, the elderly, and the home is work that makes all other work possible. But it doesn't always get the respect it deserves, whether it's done by a household employee or a family member. Today's guest believes that we should make care policies like family leave, child care, child tax credits, less of an extension of the social safety net, and more as infrastructure, as investments in the future of the economy. We have this assumption that care is kind of a personal responsibility that is to be managed mostly by the women in our households, right? And if we can't figure it out, we consider it a personal failure. We actually need policies, systems, programs, a workforce. And I think it really starts with investing in care programs, child care, paid leave, home and community-based care for the aging and our care workforce that has been so undervalued. Mm. I mean, the average annual income of a home care worker in this country is $18,200 per year. Ai-Jen Poo is a MacArthur Genius Grant winner and author of the book, The Age of Dignity. She co-founded and leads the National Domestic Workers Alliance, is the director of Caring Across Generations, and the co-founder of Supermajority. IGEN is the nation's leading advocate for fundamentally changing the way our society supports caregiving. All right. IGEN, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. So you coined the phrase, care is the work that makes all other work possible. Yet a lot of care is unpaid and shouldered by women in our households. I do want to talk about paid domestic workers in this conversation, but I want to start by talking about the unpaid work that is literally the backbone of our economy. And one analysis that I saw 
through your organization was that if American women earned minimum wage for the unpaid work that we do in the home, we would have made $1.5 trillion last year. (laughs) That's right. Isn't it insane when you think about, I think also Pivotal Ventures recently did a study and valued the care economy at um, around $680 billion, which is larger than the entire pharmaceutical industry. So we are talking about a massive part of our economy. And that's that's the part that is quantifiable through jobs. <laughs> yeah. Is it was this the first time that we've put a number on it? It just seems I think we all knew that there was a lot of this work happening, but to actually quantify it is remarkable. It really is remarkable and I suppose in this time when this is kind of how we value things by data and numbers to have the data to be able to point to is actually really helpful. Yeah. Do you think it should be part of GDP? Yes, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard to value things that we can't measure. And so we should measure it in the context of everything else that we are measuring and valuing. Absolutely. So there was this, another study released earlier this year that really made my blood boil, but When I started to think of friends in this situation, it was true for them too. So the study found that in hetero relationships, when the wife earns more money than the husband, she actually ends up doing even more housework. (laughs) Did you you read this study? What do you think is happening here? Oh, I think that we have just these deeply, deeply held beliefs in our society that this work of caring um, and cleaning and maintaining our homes and our families, this work is an individual responsibility that should be shouldered mostly by the women in our families. And if we can't figure it out or we can't afford it, we consider it a personal failure. And Mm. I think for women who are working extra hard in any sector of the economy, It doesn't at all take away from the responsibility that we've internalized to also hold it down at home. And so, yeah, I think we're all managing for that in different ways. And and it's it's so unfair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the vicious cycle that I see often amongst my peers is that a woman is earning less than her husband because of because of the, the the pay gap that has existed. So when the pandemic started, she would pick up more of the work of the child care that no longer existed outside of the house because her husband's job was more important. So then she's not getting the raise or able to put in as much time at work where her husband is. So the gap gets even bigger. And it's just this vicious cycle that seems to have been just put into like, overgear during COVID. Yeah, I think the fact that the work that has historically been associated with women in the home is completely unpaid, taken for granted, and unseen is the same root issue as the fact that women's work in the workplace, wherever that workplace may be, is compensated at less than her male counterparts. Or because mm-hmm. I think it's 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 the same hierarchy of power and privilege, which essentially values the contributions of women less than those of men. So 
Are there examples of other countries, other cultures that have gotten this right, have gotten the care economy right and equitable? There's two aspects of this that I think about. One is this idea that we talked about earlier that somehow in this country, we've just internalized it as our personal responsibility. Or if we struggle with care, it's like a tyranny of personal failures. And in other countries, one thing that I have found in almost every other developed country in the world is that it is much more widely understood that care is something that is in the public interest and part of the public good, Mm. and therefore should be supported by public policy, public programs. Child care should be more widely accessible and affordable for more people. And that that is actually a part of the public infrastructure. And Most developed countries have 12 to six month paid family and medical leave program. And we have exactly zero days (laughs) in our country. (laughs) So, you know, things like that. It's like, I think that other countries have done better at uh, supporting through public policy and public infrastructure, the work of care. But I will say that I haven't seen a single country in the world value care work for its true value. In other words, care workers, child care providers, early childhood educators, home care aides um, or home health aides across the board are not professions that are adequately valued or protected or compensated. Yeah. Well, so maybe this is a good segue to talk about the 2.2 million domestic workers across the U.S. that are majority female, disproportionately women of color, and three times as likely to be living in poverty as other workers. Yeah. Yeah. We do a survey on a monthly basis of about 10,000 workers in our community just to get a pulse on how things are going out there. And What we found in our last survey is that about 20% are unemployed and seven out of 10 are who are employed are earning less than $15 an hour. And among those who are employed with a less than $15 an hour earning, most are also underemployed, meaning that they are not getting enough hours of work and want more in order to meet full-time work. And so I say that to say that our labor markets right now in general, if you look at it from an economist standpoint, things are pretty strong. There's a low unemployment rate. And of course, everyone's struggling with rising costs. But for this workforce, it's always been really tough. 82% of domestic workers came into the pandemic without a single paid sick day. Mm. And it remains tough and the recovery has been slower. And the question is also, what are we recovering back towards? And you know, our hope was that the pandemic would help the world see just how essential this work is and how we have to make real change happen for these workers who make everything else possible in our lives. And I do think there's been some awakening, but not enough action. What would you like to see happen? I would like to see Congress 
pass uh, legislation that puts major investments in childcare being affordable and accessible, home care being affordable and accessible to all who need it, and then paid family medical leave being a new standard expectation that we have in this country. And every worker who works for these programs being able to earn a living wage and take care of themselves and their families too. Yeah. One story I've actually shared before on this podcast, but there was a Facebook group of moms in my area and a woman posted in there that she works at the local hospital as a provider at the hospital and was about to go on maternity leave and was looking for an eight-week gig where she could bring her newborn and pump. She was getting zero paid days from mm-hmm. her employer. She got time off, but they weren't. it wasn't paid time off. So right. she was literally looking to leave the hospital with her newborn and go care for someone else's child while caring for her own child. I mean, and this is a... 8,000 person hospital, um, the 8,000 employee hospital to think that even those on the forefront of healthcare and taking care of people as part of the mission doesn't even have the resources or policies in place to take care of their own employees. It's really something, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) it is. So extraordinary. I think Moms Rising has a data point around the numbers of moms who because of our lack of policies are forced to go back to work two weeks after giving birth. Mm -hmm. And even if you've never given birth, if you've had surgery before of of any significance, you know that you can't actually do certain things that are necessary and required for the vast majority of jobs within a month of a major procedure. Well, and we wonder why there are so many unwanted pregnancies. Right. We can't have it both ways, right? We can't Mm -hmm. force people to have babies and then once they have them, not allow them to heal or care for them. Yeah. Tell us about the Build Back Better Act and what happened there. Oh, okay. Well, look, I think that those of us who care about care, we are in the we are still in the most important opening for progress on care of generations. And, you know, I'll say that in the pandemic, I think everybody had this awakening. And what we were able to do is build a coalition called Care Can't Wait that brought together people who care about childcare and people who care about care for the elderly and people with disabilities and people who care about paid family medical leave, all of us together in this coalition. And it was, it is the broadest and boldest and most beautiful coalition I've ever been a part of. And we were able to push our champions in Congress to work together and to really focus on getting these policies into the economic recovery bill. And we were incredibly successful. I mean, the president announced American Jobs Plan and American Families Plan that had care as a core pillar of both agendas. And it it remains a core pillar of the president's agenda, his economic agenda. So in Congress, when the Build Back Better Act was introduced and passed by the House of Representatives in November of last year, 
all three pillars. We fought really hard to make sure that it wasn't just childcare or just paid leave or just home care, but all three pillars of the care agenda were intact and in that bill, and we were successful. The U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill with almost a trillion dollars worth of investments in family care, which is just huge and transformative. And unfortunately, as the process of negotiations moved into the Senate, things broke down and the bill got significantly smaller and focused on a few things, one being climate, um, addressing climate change, which is urgent and important and obviously affects us all. The other being keeping costs of healthcare and prescription drugs down and then making sure that it's financed not by everyday people, but by taxes on the super wealthy and corporations. And all of that is really, really good. And I applaud the Senate for making that happen. And I know it's not going to address this crisis that we are in when it comes to caregiving and that we have to do that. And so we're pushing and saying, great that we're getting this done and care is next. It has to be. Yeah. Do you think it's going to happen in the next two years? It totally could if we all show up and vote. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's going to take is, you know, a few more senators who get it and I think we can do it. What does it mean to be pro-family? Because I I think there are a couple different definitions floating around that have been kind of politicized. Being pro-family to me is a lot about freedom. It's about the freedom to take care of the people that you love and decide when and how you want to have a family. And in our country, because we don't support child care or long-term care or pay family medical leave, it's actually extremely constraining. It keeps women coming in and out of the workforce. It pushes women out of the workforce. It creates so much friction in what actually should be some of the most joyful and important roles and moments of our lives. And, and so to me, It is about a strong care infrastructure where we all have the support we need to take care of the people that we love across the lifespan, including good jobs for the workers who are going to help us out and be a part of our care squads. And it's about the freedom to choose on your terms when and how you have a family. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's actually so simple. We'll be right back after the break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. 
The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ijen, tell us about your background and what ultimately led you to this work. People ask me this question a lot and I never know how to answer it, but I will <laughs> say that it, this work is all I've ever done really on some level. I was raised by caregivers, my mom, my grandmothers, and I kind of ended up in in college in New York City and just could not go down the street of Manhattan without seeing caregivers um, yeah. uh, pushing their babies and strollers to the parks and playgrounds and just just starting to realize that our entire world is held up by this invisible force of women who care and um, many women of color who do it as a profession caring for us while they then go home and care for their own families too. And, and that that life force being protected and at the center of our future is exactly what will secure our future. And, and I, I think I kind of knew that instinctually as I started chasing down nannies in parks, giving them flyers and asking them to come to meetings. I kind of was like, you know what? I'm just going to mm. follow these women and see what happens. And here I am 25 How old years were you? later. Um, 23, maybe? Okay. 22? And what's the average average age of a, a nanny in New York City? Twice oh, that, maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 called me the Chinese girl with the flyers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an international group, right? They, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Oh, so what's so exciting is we're turning 15 this year. <laughs> the, Congratulations. This year, thank you. It's our 15th birthday. Um, and we are an organization that represents the nannies, house cleaners, and home care workers all over the country who work inside of our homes and help make our lives and our families and our households function. It's really critical work, but it is work that still keeps people in poverty, that doesn't have access to benefits or any real security. And our mission is to make these jobs good jobs that you can mm. really take pride in and support your family on. And it's also about making sure that the people who do this work and all kinds of work have a voice in our democracy. 
and in our future as a country. And so we do a lot of civic engagement as well. But we are now a community that's 400,000 strong. We're in all 50 states and we're growing. So if you're a nanny or you're a house cleaner or home care worker out there listening to this, you can join, sign up for membership and get involved because we'd love to have you as part of our family. And is it member funded or do you have philanthropic dollars behind you guys? It's funded all kinds of ways. So it's, we have members who pay dues. We also have individual donors who just support our work and want to support our programming. So they give us money. We also have philanthropies who support our work through grants. So we have all kinds of supporters. Yeah. And so you do some legislative work or mm-hmm. pr- promoting that and then also helping people understand their rights. Absolutely. Yep. We have member benefits packages. So we, if you have a, a few join as a member, we have um, some resources and benefits that we offer. And then we also, one of the big resources we offer is being able to participate in changing laws and policies that make sure that you have rights and that those rights are enforced. And so we have been successful in passing domestic worker bills of rights in 11 states and and two cities around the country. And, and we're now currently working on a federal domestic worker bill of rights to make sure that in every state in the country, this work is fully protected and recognized. And what sort of things are included in, a, in the workers' bill of rights? In the federal bill of rights, it includes um, access to paid sick days, protection from discrimination and harassment. It helps to ensure that if you're living in with your employer, that you have rights like um, overtime pay, meal and rest breaks, and the like. And it also sets up something that we really love. It's a kind of an innovation, and it's called the Domestic Worker Standards Board, which essentially brings workers and employers and the Department of Labor together to talk about what the standards should look like in in the sector in a way that takes into account everybody's interests and well-being. Um, This workforce, because the home is a workplace and the workforce is pretty uniquely isolated, but also scattered and hidden, there's just unique considerations that we should be um, taking into account. So, So the standards board gives us a process and a mechanism to bring everyone together to problem solve together. I love that. So when you think about, you, you say the word employer, it's funny because it's probably just a family, right? Just a, Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a, a parent, two parents that are employing someone to support in whichever way. What are some of the things that you wish these families would know? Because this is, they probably don't have, most of them probably have maybe a nanny or a housekeeper. These aren't professional employers. Yeah. No, I know. And it's it's so crazy because most people who are employers in this sector would never think of themselves as employers. They think of themselves as iGen, <laughs> you know, yeah. and also maybe an employee because you work for somebody else. Um, yeah. And so just the intention around seeing yourself as an employer is really important because one of the places where I think there's a lot of risk is the fact that we just don't recognize this work as real work equal to others. If you think about it, we are like culturally, we still call it help 
as opposed to the profession that it is, right? For million, literally millions of people. And so even just making the kind of mental shift that, okay, actually this is somebody's workplace. I'm employing them. This is their job. This is their professionals. Like just having that kind of mindset shift And then we have a sister organization called Hand in Hand, which has created a ton of resources for employers. I mean, one of the things that happens in an industry that's so kind of invisible and devalued is that it's a little bit all over the place. And so even when you want to know what, what is the right thing to do it's hard to figure out what that looks like sometimes because it's kind of like you're sort of grabbing, feeling around in the dark. And what Hand in Hand has done is put together sample contracts, communication guides, COVID resource guides, safety guides for everybody. And I think that kind of, that kind of intentionality is, I think, what's really, really helpful in the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's certainly a different sort of relationship because it's more intimate and in the home versus in a workplace. So as the employer, you are you're you're in your home. You're you're not on guard at, at the way you would be managing an employee in an office, for instance. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot more thought that should pr- probably go into it. Switching gears a little bit, you know, one of the things I like to ask guests is around some of the biggest roadblocks you face. We all face naysayers, especially in areas within healthcare where it's hard to make change in areas with policies that make it difficult to move forward. So what are some of the biggest roadblocks that you've faced in your work? The biggest roadblock is really just how these issues are still seen as kind of special interest. I mean, women, women's concerns in general, even though we're the majority of people in this country, <laughs> we're still considered kind of a special interest group, which is just bizarre to me. But the issue of caregiving impacts everyone. There are 53 million working family caregivers in the United States today. 11 million of them are taking care of people with Alzheimer's. So that means people who are spending more than 20 hours per week taking care of an aging loved one or a loved one with a disability on top of working. And that's a lot of people. And then if you add on top of that, the children, the older adults, the people with disabilities, and then the actual care workforce, we're getting to about 100 million people who are directly affected by the need for a strong care infrastructure in this country. That's not a fringe group. No. <laughs> um, it's not a niche. It's not, it's no. not niche. It's not a little thing on the margins. And, and I, I just think we have yet to, I think because of the association with women, and all of the cultural associations that it's not skilled, it's not valuable, whatever it is, that it has made it so hard to make progress on public policy. And that's why culture change is a really big part of my focus and our work as an organization, because at the end of the day, we have to change how we think, feel, and treat this work in our lives and in society. Otherwise, no amount of policy shifts are either going to be possible or ultimately embraced. Yeah. If you could wave a magic wand and 
correct this problem, what would that look like? Ooh, I love this question. I would create a program called Universal Family Care. And it would basically be a program that we all contribute to from the time that we start working, that we can all benefit from, that helps us all pay for child care, paid family and medical leave, and long-term care. So any care that we need or that we provide at any stage of life would be supported by this one fund, kind of like Social Security. Mm-hmm. And do you think this is is like infrastructure and is mm-hmm. an investment that would pay itself back? Absolutely. Yeah. Right now we're paying for care in extremely inefficient, expensive, and ineffective ways. Yeah. And this would just essentially help us pool collectively our resources and our risk to be able to provide care for all in a much more affordable and sustainable way. Will we ever see your name on the ballot box? Oh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm really good at helping other people get elected. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I like, you know, I like my my ability to seed ideas and bring people into the fold as opposed to being the one. Yeah. How can people support your work at the National Domestic Workers Alliance? Oh, you can go to domesticworkers.org and sign up, join our list. If you're interested in caregiving specifically, you can also sign up at Caring Across Generations. That's caringacross.org and get plugged in in all kinds of policy advocacy related to family care. Amazing. Well, Ijen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seely. Our host is Hallie Tecco. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seely. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.